Thank you, Reagan. Okay, I appreciate that much. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Jude, if you will. Jude, the one and only chapter. Jude 1, if we will call it such. Jude, contending for the faith. If you need an outline, we'll have uh, Brother Cliff go ahead and bring those on down the middle aisle. We'd love for you to follow along. We got into the intro last week, and now we get to get into a lot more of the body. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a great challenge for us from this little book in the New Testament. And uh, contending, ooh, contending for the faith. All right. Uh, so we may be operating without <laughs> for a moment. Did it reboot? Something like that. All right, no worries, all right? Last week we looked at, uh, to begin with, and you'll see it here in just a few moments, but we looked at the author and the audience of Jude, both Jude himself, Judas, as that same term, and uh, there we go, is there. And then we looked at uh, um, the, uh, w- the time of the writing. We talked about that between 65 and 70 A.D. We talked about the location. We really don't know anything about that. A somewhat educated guest may say Jerusalem and so forth. And then we came down to the purpose of his writing, I think, that's key. Verse number three. You remember, he said uh, he was he was intent, man. He picked up the pen. He was ready to write about the salvation, and he he was ready to revisit Calvary to talk about what Christ had done and the redemption plan. His hand was ready. Uh, yet he said the Holy Spirit spoke to him, and uh, there was a great need. Uh, it's very much indicated by that term earnestly. He says, "Listen, man. The, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. There's a great need in the church in that day and in the days." To come, certainly in our day, that he said, I need to address. And, and uh, very much a kind of a, a, a war memo, a battle memo. He said, listen, we've got to contend for the faith. We've got to struggle. And we talked about uh, earnestly contending for the faith, those, each of those parts. I uh, remember that, that terminology for earnestly is the exceeding intent and serious determination that is necessary. And then last but not least, we just came a great, uh, a big overview of the whole book. And uh, we, we described it this way. Here are the things that he does. He expounds upon the seriousness of not believing apostasy, the things that happen in one's life and the effect they can have, apostasy on the church and others around you. We, he exposed false teachers and apostasy for what they really are, and that's one of the keys that sets Jude apart. We'll talk of that here in a moment. And then he also uh, gives examples from history and mankind of the dangers and existence of apostates in every age. And then he encourages true believers in how we ought to respond in standing strong in the face of the reality of apostates, both within and without the church. And that's really one of the key points of this book in Jude. Look at verse 3, if you will, with me again, because we want to key in on the last part here one more time. He says this, Beloved, there's a reiteration of who he's writing to, the church, the bride of Christ. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto you, uh, or excuse me, unto the saints. Now I want you to note right off the bat that there is a crucial conclusion that's made for us in this last statement of this verse. We are to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto us, the saints. So what does that, uh, in here in verse 3, what does that statement conclude for us? Well, it's something we see established throughout the entire New Testament. It's this simple reality. In, in the record or the recorded teachings of Christ, the New Testament authors, we have the completed, God-ordained, God-inspired, and God-preserved revelation for all mankind. Uh, the scriptures that you and I hold are the, the, are the revelation from God, completed, done, God-ordained, God-preserved, and uh, God, certainly God-inspired. And that's a key statement here because this 
forms the foundation for what much, uh, much of what Jude is going to expose about the apostates, the false teachers. Um, they like to add or they like to delete, right? And uh, very much so, we'll talk about it today. There are some um, so-called Christian denominations, cults more like, uh, that will very much like to add to the Word of God. In fact, you think of the, the Mormons, they actually say there's four uh, things that are, are like the Word of God, four different books and resources, if you can put it as such, that they do that. And yet they themselves in their own writings will say that they don't believe the, the Word of God is perfect <laughs> and uh, uh, infallible in things and so forth. So uh, then there's others. N- liberals today uh, would, uh, liberal movement within Christianity would take away. They, they want to just take away a lot of the teachings of Christ, make it more palatable, make it more um, uh, easily um, digested by folks. Uh, some of the scripture would say having itching ears, right? They heap to themselves teachers. That's what the liberals want to do. They want to water down the doctrine of God. They want to take away from it. And so Judah's saying, hey, we've got to establish some things that this is what you received. And I love that past tense. It's done. It's, it's sealed and delivered. It's been given to us. I like what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8. He says this, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Uh, you think about that statement. Today we have many books and, and Joseph Smith, uh, others like that, who've said an angel appeared to me and uh, gave me more revelation. You know what that means? You're cursed. You're cursed because Paul wrote it clearly. We, we've got the revelation that God intended us to have in the Word of God. That's what we have. And so he makes a very clear statement there. You see it on your outline. We made it, this simple statement because of it. The faith, once and fully given, needs neither human nor angelic additions. Okay? Now, it's neither angelic or human additions. What we have is exactly what God intended. In fact, the term that Jude uses, when he says once delivered, it, the term literally means once for all. And I like that because there's so much about the Christian faith that is once for all. Aren't you thankful tonight that Jesus Christ died on the cross once and for all? Okay, so, and now Judah's saying, listen, God has given us his word once for all. Now, I'll tell you, if you've never thought about it, that is really a great thing. Because you think about it, wouldn't it have been hard, and it certainly was in the first century for that New Testament church to find everything that somebody writes and says, okay, is this really additional revelation, or is this just somebody that uh, has added something and so forth? In fact, we'll talk about it like the Apocrypha and some other things. There are times that the Christian church wrestled with, is this inspired, is this part of the, the canon of scriptures? Aren't you grateful today that you and I don't have to worry about when a new book comes on, is this a revelation from God, or is this just man's words? We don't have to worry about that. You and I, the Bible's clear, we have everything we need. The complete God-ordained, God-preserved, God-inspired revelation from God for mankind, and revealing of who he is, his redemption plan, everything, and how does he put it? The faith. The faith that we've received, the gospel, all of it, everything, if we might put it this way, everything you and I need to believe, it's in there. It's in there. The faith we have received, and I love that statement that he gives. It's perfect. It's complete. The people of God must refuse. You and I must refuse all other and newer revelations. You know, I think of all these books that are written. I, I died, and then I went to heaven, and I saw this, and they try to describe heaven. Can I tell you? Anytime that deviates from here, you can be guaranteed they're wrong. Never happened. 
okay? And what? We have a complete revelation. We hold it right up against it. That's the measuring stick because this is what we have that God has indicated and desired for you and I to have. Such apostasy as Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and others that claim to have additional revelation need to be identified and refused for what they are. They are modern apostasy. Okay, wrong. It, they're, in the meaning of the word apostasy, they've, they've fallen away. They've, uh, they've gone away from the truth. That's what they are, and we ought to throw in their Catholicism. All its dogma that it's added to the scriptures and the things, that, all their different councils that have added things. Certainly we would think of their, their, their focus on a works-based salvation, their, their encouragement to pray to saints, their worshiping and almost deifying Mary. All of those things are not found in the faith that was once delivered unto us. So we can have it as a beautiful measuring stick. And so Jude is very careful. He says, listen, when something else comes besides that, we can identify it. That's apostasy. That has no place within Christianity. You see, that, and, and really what he points out too, uh, what we alluded to even in, in the verse where uh, he speaks of verse 17. But beloved, remember we saw this last week. But remember ye, the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's the key. Because what? The apostles' doctrine, anything that was contrary to that, it identifies for us, okay, this is not the faith we've received. Now we want to follow that line. We want to follow this understanding of what Jews are referring to. Because the meat and the milk uh, of what the early church grew up on was the apostles doctrine okay so the milk and the meat that the uh, early church grew up on it was the apostles doctrine now this is what we have in front of us the writing of the new testament and uh, uh the things that god would have us to do and uh, it, it flows from scriptures acts chapter 2 verse 42 and they continued steadfastly this is the early church in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers so they rehearsed, they taught, they preached uh, what they called the apostles' doctrine. Now, that's a great, fantastic. The apostles, Paul being one, and obviously the disciples, those who saw Christ and walked with them, fantastic. But what, what is it that they're teaching? Well, the Bible's clear on that too. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Jesus. And we know the myriad of records within the Gospels that point to thousands, multiple occasions where Jesus is teaching, instructing, discipling his own disciples. Can I tell you that was the best seminary any preacher could go to? To sit at the feet of Christ. To walk with him. And as he taught the people, he'd turn around what? You remember the many occasions? Of, uh, he, he teaches the people. He turns to the disciples. The disciples are like, what in the world were you talking about? Okay, that's my vernacular. I put that in there. That's not my, but they're like, whoa, what does that mean? What does that parable mean? What did you mean by that? What? And so he teaches them. He trains them. Uh, he educates them. Amen. Uh, he helps them know, and, and that he passes on doctrine. Here is, here is what the church is going to be founded upon, the doctrine of the apostles, and obviously, where did they gain their doctrine, what they believe, that was from Jesus Christ. Passed on through many of these occasions, and we can imagine, even as John alludes to, my friend, we don't have the, the overwhelming majority of Christ's interactions with the disciples are not recorded here. 
So you think of the thousands and thousands of times that he spent time with them that's not recorded in scriptures, that he imparted truth and knowledge and understanding and teaching and doctrine to them. And, and here's the good news. So we, we trace it. Jesus Christ, who is God, who, who is truth incarnate, he passed on the doctrine to the apostles. The apostles, under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, wrote it down so that you and I have the apostles' doctrine today. In the Word of God. And we can follow along. Boy, what Jude speaks of here, what they speak of in Acts, you and I have in front of us. We're able to stand on, we're able to read for ourselves. It's interesting to see that the word for those who rejected and abandoned the truth is the term what? Apostate. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Because they're apostates and they rejected the apostles' doctrine. They stand in contrary to uh, them, and, and what they do is try to pervert the apostles' doctrine. So they're called apostate. The word isn't necessarily attached to one another, but it uh, sure uh, sounds good as far as uh, you can see easily how they're opposed to one another, apostates that are opposed to the apostles' doctrine. Now let me make a, a crucial point I think is so important here, that Christ himself both demonstrates and instructs, and then Paul and other New Testament writers picks up on and continues the teaching. It's this simple statement. As Jude says here, we are to contend, there is no doubt, but we are not to be contentious. We are to contend, we are not to be contentious. The world has enough religious people who are contentious. We are to contend, there's no doubt. And in fact, the Bible says many times over, what are we instructed to do? We're supposed to be apt to teach. We're supposed to educate others and at the same time show patience. We are supposed to be ready to give an answer. We are called upon, as this passage said, guard the faith like a loyal soldier. Protect it. Defend it. You are supposed to do that. And that's what the passage here before us says. But the Bible also says don't strive. And it says speak the truth in love. So there is a balance that needs to be maintained because, my friend, you and I see it. In, and I remember the, boy, three or four years ago, somebody down this road here, we were knocking on doors, and the, the question they gave us were, are you with that Westboro Baptist? You don't know who they are. They're the ones who picket everything with signs and so forth, talking about basically the hate of God, not speaking the truth and love, if anything, the exact opposite of it. No grace, no, no spirit of God in that whatsoever. And I, man, I just remember hearing that, like, oh, I don't want to be associated with that at all. There's a balance. Yes, contend for the faith, but don't be contentious. You say, Pastor Henry, how do you do that? My friend, can I tell you from personal experience, it's not easy unless you submit to the Holy Spirit. Unless you're guided by the Holy Spirit, empowered, and you know what I like in Acts? God says, Christ said to the disciples, the Holy Spirit will give you utterance. So boy, we depend on the Holy Spirit for what we say in those interactions, in those times of, of contending for the faith. We're going to be adamant. We're going to stand stall, tall and straight for God's word. We're going to speak the truth, but we're going to do it in love. Do it graciously, not causing strife, not striving with others and fighting and turning into argument. No, no, no. We're not going to make it contentious. Now, at the same time, I also know this. In the world we're heading, there are going to be others who want to make it contentious. And we have to remain gracious in those times. And if they get heated and elevated, then so be it. You and I answer to God for how we respond. And our reactions to that. So we have to be very careful in that. All right, we looked at verse number four. And as I like to entitle it, the creeps of the present. 
the creeps of the present. Who are these? They're those who crept in unawares. Look at verse number four, okay? For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, <coughs> excuse me, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I love this verse. It is so powerful. It's like he got out of the way, his whole description of the apostates in this one little verse. And then he goes on to give examples and a little bit more explanation of what they're going to do in the rest of the book and so forth. Notice what he says, though. Okay? And first of all, let's back up a second. Understand, some of you have been reading Jude like we did last week. Maybe you've read it since then. Uh, you'll recognize a clear resemblance to the book of Second Peter. In fact, there's some phraseology that is almost exact. And so there's some debate as to whether Second Peter or this book was written first, who referred to who. I don't think it really matters, but they are very much alike. They're both speaking of false prophets. They're both speaking of apostasy and so forth. And, and uh, we'll actually look there in just a few moments at a verse. But, um, but one of the things that sets Jude apart from Peter is this. It has a pretty large focus on the ungodliness or the character of an apostasy. In other words, he really does a good job peeling back the layers in, in depth, at length. He exposes, really, the character and the ungodliness of the apostate. He's very, very poignant. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't waste words. He really says, hey, this is what they are. This is what they're going to do. You need to beware. You need to contend for the faith by resisting the apostate or the false teacher. And uh, it's kind of, they both certainly focus on uh, the, the judgment that's going to come, but Jude has, does more at length focus on the corruption that comes in one's life when they're an apostate and exposes it in that way. Okay? But who or what are these creeps? Well, number one, we're going to see from this passage, they are infiltrators. Infiltrators. Okay? Uh, it's a great statement here that Jude makes very clear. They've crept in. They've infiltrated the church. And this is what's alarming. These are enemies, uh, spies of the enemy. They've uh, planted within the church of Christ. And his desire is to wreak havoc. You know what Satan's already learned? Something then that you and I can read about. The gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. He knows that. It's written in our book, in, our, in the Bible, our revelation. He knows the gates of hell will not prevail. So guess what? If you can't break down the walls, you can't, if you can't knock it down from without, guess what you try to do? You go, try to go within. You bring it down. Trojan horse, however you want to describe it. You infiltrate it. You bring it down yeah, from within. Uh, you go inside the gate, and that's literally what he's doing. His plan is to infiltrate the church. He wants to sow seeds of error, lies, falsities like he did in the, law, the Garden of Eden. His plan hasn't changed. And then as he sows those seeds of error, guess what he can do? Pervert the truth. Have you, like I, wrestled with someone who's been under Mormon teaching or Jehovah's Witness teaching or some liberal teaching? And the fact is, man, it's so frustrating because there's some truth, but the error has come in and has perverted the truth. It makes it so hard when you're trying to reason with them and, and show them that here's the truth. And they're, oh yeah, I know that, but this kind of goes along with it. No, that's error. Boy, Satan's good, isn't he? Boy, he knows what he's doing. He did it at the Garden of Eden and every time since with the Israelites and so forth. This is his plan and he does his plan well. You see, we have to be on alert tonight and this is, this is kind of the scary part of the book of Jude. 
He's saying to you and I that not only the false teachers without, but they're in our churches. Even in our fundamental churches. There will be some creep, some false pastor, some false deacon, some false member, some false teacher who are present in the church. That's what Judah's saying. They have crept in uh, unawares. They've gotten in. They're in here. And they're teaching in the church, in Christ's church. They've infiltrated, they've got in, and they seem to be okay. They seem on the outside that everything's good, but behind closed doors, they're introducing teaching and doctrine that is contrary to what? The apostles' doctrine. The faith you've received that has been delivered unto you. Satan loves, what does Christ say? Satan loves to sow his tares, where? Among the wheat. Christ gave that example. He, he made it clear in his teaching. And so you can be sure that false teachers claiming to, to be Christians, claiming to be the instrument of God, the man of God, the lady of God, however it might be described. Today, they write books. You can go in a Christian bookstore and find books written by apostates. Uh, they have TV shows. They have radio shows. They, they are the editors of magazines and the authors of uh, articles. They speak and preach to large groups and conferences. They teach in colleges and universities and even seminaries. They have their own websites, their social media outlets, where they try to influence others. Let's not mistake what Judah's making clear here. They have crept in unawares. They've gotten in. Some of us have lamented. You and I have sat and talked or stood and talked, and we've lamented of some good colleges that have fallen apart. May I tell you why? Because apostasy got in apostates came in and and how does the bible describe them in fact uh satan can appear as an angel of light you remember that paul wrote that first corinthians 11 i believe it is and he said hey he can appear as an angel of light and his demons and in those humans who he enlists can appear as ministers of righteousness those apostates can humans ministers of what? Righteous man. He is such a godly guy. He is such a godly lady. You know what? You let down your guard to make sure that it measures up to God's word. And my goodness, how quickly false doctrine can get in. Someone lean a little left and get a little right. And then all of a sudden, before we know it, we're way off what is the apostles' doctrine. And that's what Jude is describing for you and I here. You see, the seemingly deadliest and most effective attacks upon the truth do not come from those who openly reject the truth. When I hear of an, an atheist or some of the more renowned intellectual atheists out there and they, they talk about God and they say, you know, religion or Christianity is a crutch for uh, weak-minded people. When they say things like that, when Bill Nye, supposed science guy, okay, Bill Nye the faith guy really, anyway, uh, when Bill Nye says, yeah, he talks about evolution and things like that and he decries a creator, I'm not nearly as worried about those because it's obvious obvious what they are i'm more worried about the person who claims to know the truth but it's a lie the person who claims to say i'm a a minister of god i'm a minister of righteousness but then they get in they introduce false doctrines and things that are opposed to the very doctrine that the apostles had delivered us that have come from the very lips of jesus christ that there or therein is the danger it has been said that satan's most effective agents like spiritual terrorists 
secretly infiltrate the church where they pass themselves off as genuine shepherds and leaders. Yet in reality, they are imposters, defectors, heretics, and apostates who reject God in their hearts. Just over the last year, there have been a couple articles written by supposed Christian uh, um, people who claimed to be at some time. I, honestly, in fact, one of them you would know, Joshua Harris, uh, who, who wrote a, a famous book of years gone by, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and s- several others. He basically has renounced his faith. And everybody looked at him, and all oh, these books are wonderful, and they're everything. Isn't it amazing how apostates can get in? They can write books. We can look at them. We can hold them up. These are wonderful people. And again, I've read the book. There's some good things in the book. But what do they always mingle? Error with truth. I read another one, an article about a, 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 a preacher that just kind of renounced his faith. Said he was playing. When he was an influential pastor, an influential preacher. He was just playing the game, he said. And, and uh, he found it not to be real. Can you imagine the damage that does to those who look up to God's church? This is what Jude is writing about. He's looking around, and even in the early church, he's fearful. Wait a second. There's people creeping in who are not what they claim to be. And he goes on, and he describes it. And This is interesting because he says this. they, They creep in unaware. So they have done so unawares, and we haven't noticed, and this is interesting, you might call it a kind of a sideline study, but I think it's, it's crucial to put here, and I enjoy it, so I'm going to share it, okay? There are two interactions that you and I have that the Bible describes as us having which we are unaware of. As believers, as Christians, even as God's church, there are two interactions, that the, at least two, maybe more, but the scriptures allude to that we have unawares. The first is obviously what this passage talks about, these apostates who creep in unawares. So let's turn over, if you will, with me. Yeah, well, yeah let's call it. That's the first point, okay? The dastardly interaction with apostates. Okay? The dastardly interaction with apostates. That's the first one that we are unaware of. In other words, we can rub shoulders with them. These dastardly apostates, if we can describe them as such. Turn with me to 2 Peter. I told you to go here. So let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Notice what Peter writes in his description, his warning about false teachers and, and such. 2 Peter chapter 2, we're just over to the left a few pages. We'll do read verse 1 and what I would call 2a, the first part of verse 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now, some will conjecture, and forgive me for the heavy in this, but some conjecture based on that verse that actually Jude was written later. Because Peter says there shall be among you. Judah's saying they're here. So some would put this one earlier than that. Who knows? I'm just sharing a thought with you uh, that some commentators and theologians say. Okay? Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately, so privately, be, yeah, they'll sneak in, they'll creep in, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And notice verse 2. And many shall follow their pernicious ways. Now I tell you, I, you read verses like that, and immediately in my mind, I look around you, the United States of America and even other places, and you, you see huge megachurches. You see conferences where thousands upon thousands of people go, and they have itching ears, and they like their ears to be scratched, and you think, man, there have been a ton of people that have followed their pernicious ways. 
They, they're dealing in damnable heresies. In other words, damnable in the idea that, one idea, they're going to damn the person who believes in them. For instance, if I believe a heresy and the false teaching that I can work my way to heaven or that baptism is part of salvation, my friend, that could seal the deal for me going to hell if I think I'm getting to heaven on some way that I can't get to heaven. Did you catch that? It's a damnable heresy. I heresy believing something that's not true, that's contrary to the apostles' doctrine for salvation. I believe this is, good. this is how I get to heaven, and I believe that I'm in trouble. Because it's not what God said. It's not the truth. It's a dangerous thing. And in fact, you know this as, as I do. Um, Christ warned the disciples. He said there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be uh, uh, those apostates who come in. And, and what does he say? They'll come in in what kind of clothing? Sheep's clothing. <laughs> That's a goat more like. Uh, anyway. They're coming in sheep clothing. They're going to look like sheep believers. And we know he's not talking about the animal. He's talking about sheep, the family of God. They're going to come in in sheep clothing. They're going to pass themselves. That's unawares. You're, you're, you're not going to be able to tell until um, sometimes it's too late. Um, who was it? I forget, a missionary or somebody. It may have been a, um, a speaker he had. I, and they all run together anyway. But I remember the story because I asked him, and, and uh, they had been to India. And uh, I remember sharing, been to India, and in India, the false teacher Benny Hinn was big and so forth. And, and he had mentioned that he got into a taxi, and uh, he started witnessing to the taxi driver. And as he was witnessing to the taxi driver, the taxi driver basically put up his hand, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about your God. I don't want to hear about your faith. And he's like, whoa, what happened? And literally the guy had been burned by Benny Hinn. He had gone and faith healing and everything else, and he, was, he didn't want to hear anything about God. He didn't want to hear anything about faith because of the, how he had been hurt by a false prophet. That's the damage we are talking to. And Jude is looking around saying, we don't want that. We don't want that pain to happen. They will dress. They will act. They will talk like a sheep to what? Blend in, infiltrate the church. They will creep in unawares. The first thing that we are told, that interaction that we'll have unawares, and this one's just to kind of throw on there and quickly move on, but not only the, uh, the um, dastardly interaction with apostates, but number two, the Bible tells us that you and I will have a divine interaction with angels. So I find it kind of interesting, the term unawares is used to describe both, and when we say divine, we're not saying the angels are divine in the sense of God, no, but divine, the term literally mean, can mean from God, of God, whatever the case may be. And so angels that are centered on myths. Remember this verse? It says this, excuse me, the divine interactions with angels. So we have the dastardly interaction with apostates, the divine interaction with angels. These are the two interactions we have that the Bible says we'll be unaware of. Remember this passage? And I don't know about you, but this is always, man, this, this is always in the back of my mind when I meet a stranger. Isn't it yours? When the Bible says this, Hebrews 13, 2, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I'll tell you, man, when there's a stranger walks up or walks in this church, I'm like, is he an angel? Probably inappropriate to ask, but they might think weird of us, right? Hey, the Bible says that. Hey, you're going to entertain angels, what? Unawares. Just, just like how these apostates creep in, there's going to be times in your life that we entertain angels. I think it's going to be real fun to get to heaven and find out when we did that. Well, it may be a little scary if we failed, right? 
We treated them unkindly. We didn't treat them like Christ would have us to, in kindness and love. And uh, it's kind of interesting uh, challenge. But those are the two things that we are told about. Now, in this statement, though, here in verse number 3, as we're back in Jude 3, there is something here in this statement that tells us that though we have been unaware of their infiltration, here's the good news, God is not. God is not. And in this statement, he makes it clear. He writes that they, those apostates before of old, were ordained to the condemnation or judgment that is going to befall them. Okay? Literally, that, uh, and don't mistake it, some have misread this terribly and saying, well, God chose them to be apostates. No, no, no. Look what the, the Bible is saying so clearly. He's saying, listen, they have been before ordained to what? The condemnation. All the apostates, all who, who turn and reject the truth, turn their back, they are destined for judgment, for that condemnation. That's what he said. In fact, the word here literally means to be designated or marked. They are designated and marked for condemnation, the judgment that's going to fall. Uh, that, that's the simple, obvious understanding and statement here. That Greek word for ordained literally means that in the text here. But what's the encouragement? Nothing gets by God. And even though in his graciousness they are allowed, they are permitted to still uh, teach. Because yeah, don't you sometimes, man, I'll turn on a TV evangelist or I'll, I'll hear him on the radio maybe when I just, and man, I hear him like, God, boy, I sure do wish sometimes you'd just strike him dead. Amen? A Herod who, who uh, the people said, you have the voice of God. And what happened? He was eaten by worms. That's a great, that's a great statement, isn't it? And sometimes don't you wish that, boy, those people who stand up against God, they reject the truth, they're leading thousands and thousands away from God and away from the truth. And sometimes I just, mm. but our God is gracious, isn't he? He's merciful. And so in his graciousness and mercy, sometimes he allows them to continue, yes, even going down their, their wicked way. But he always reminds us, as Jude does here, payday is coming. Payday's coming. They are ordained to the condemnation. Thirdly, notice what else that Jude says about them as we quickly move forward. He says, thirdly, they are ungodly. They're ungodly men. It's a term that Jude really likes. He uses it at least a minimal six times in this little letter. He likes that term ungodly and uh, to describe the apostates. And you can understand, he doesn't waste words. He doesn't cut around or beat around the bush. He's just simply saying their character is not good. They are anti-God in their hearts and in their thinking and in their actions. They're just anti-God. They may claim to have some godliness. They may talk a good game. They may produce some fake fruit on the outside, but they do not share the heart and mind of God. And they don't revere and honor Him, nor do they respect and worship Him. You get a peek behind the scenes and you begin to see the facade fall apart. You begin to realize, as even some of them admit, they play at religion. It's just a game for them. They, they put enough to get what they want, to fulfill their lust, or, or as a messenger of the devil, whatever. They get what they want. They play at religion. Their sinful character eventually comes to the surface and is revealed. That's what Jude's saying. They're ungodly men. They do not have the heart and mind of God. Fourthly, Jude goes on to describe him in this way, and we'll end with this thought. He says this, number four there, letter D, they assault God's grace. 
It's an interesting statement he makes for us and describes. He says in, in their actions, they turn from the grace of God, or excuse me, they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Now, that Greek term turn, that is translated as turn, is an interesting word. Because it is literally to change from one thing to something else. It's a complete change. Where it's not like it was originally, it's changed completely into something else. That's what the word turn means. And that's what literally what they're the changing the, the grace of God into what? Lasciviousness. Webster's uh, 1828 defines uh, that as looseness. Irregular indulgence of animal or base desires. Wantonness, lustfulness is how it's described. Literally, these are people who cannot and will not restrain their fleshly lust. Rather, turning the, the liberty, frankly, let me back up. They give in to those lusts, right? They don't restrain them. They give in to them, and they do so under the guise of liberty and grace. They turn the liberty of God, uh, the liberty of God given by grace, into a license to do whatever the flesh desires. And Judas is identifying, wait, this is already happening in the church in the first century. And my friend, I'll just make it very clear and obvious to you, it threatens the church today. There's the so-called grace movement. There's the modern Calvinist movement. And they emphasize grace and liberty uh, to a fault. And in doing so, they have in many ways turned it into lasciviousness, a fulfilling of lust. There's a big theological term for it. You see it there in your notes. I I was going to leave it blank, but I thought, no, I'll write it in for you. Antinomianism. It's a fun word antinomianism to simply define it it just means this that it's the belief that there are no moral laws or code that god expects christians to obey there are no moral laws that god expects or code that god expects christians to obey or heed okay Uh, antinomian takes a biblical teaching and it turns it into an unbiblical conclusion now this is a great illustration of exactly what Judah's speaking of they take something that the bible teaches and what does the bible teach Well, the Bible's very clear because it does in the sense that, wait a minute, you don't have to keep the Old Testament law to be saved because Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. So in order to be saved, you don't have to keep the law anymore. And that was true. Paul preached that. Look at Galatians. Look at many of the other uh, Romans. He puts that in there. Other passages. In Hebrews, he takes us from the Old Testament picture to the New Testament fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He says, listen, you don't have to do that anymore. And that's true. That's a biblical truth. But then they have taken that and they have applied it to living for God. And they said, listen, God doesn't matter. He doesn't care how you live. There's no moral codes for how you and I should conduct ourselves. There's no laws or commands of scriptures that we have to obey. Nope, God's done away with the law. There's no moral code. And so in their minds, anybody can live however they want. There's no standard of conduct. There's no standard of righteousness for how we live, for what we say, what we do. It's all of grace. We all have liberty or license to live as we choose. And you can imagine the doors that that opens up. And that's out there today. The grace movement and others, again, modern Calvinists, they're pushing this emphasis on grace to the degree of, well, you know, that may, that's okay, but God's not, no, it's all about grace. We don't have to have standards of conduct, standards of what we say. And listen, <laughs> as it makes a, guy, a comeback under the guise of grace and Christian liberty, you can be assured it's a terrible, terrible perversion of the doctrine of grace. That's not what the doctrine is about. You see, those who teach and push the false doctrine make it clear 
that they never embraced God's salvation. For if they did, do you realize that they would see the grace of God not as a license to live without restraint, but as the liberty and freedom from sin to live as a servant of the Most High God? And Paul makes that point. And that's where he is a staunch defender of the doctrine of grace. It is not license. Remember Romans chapter 6, I think it is, right? He says, man, well, we should all, the grace will abound. Let's all sin. And he says, what? God forbid. That's antinomianism. Hey, don't, no, 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 no. Grace doesn't say you and I have license to live as we ought to. You know, the lesson of grace, I have liberty from sin now to live like a servant of the most high God. I can obey his word. I can heed him. I can live in such a way. I can be holy as my father in heaven is holy. I can be perfect as my, my father is perfect. I can live in such a way that reflects him and is in pleasing and brings him pleasure. Isn't it interesting how quickly we can deviate from the doctrine? That's what they did. He says, listen, these are, these are teachers. Teachers that have turned the grace of God into what? Live however you want. God loves you. It's all about grace. And I'll fulfill all my lusts. I'll live like the devil. I'll live like the world. And then I'll think everything's hunky-dory. My friend, these are the kind of teachers that have crept in unawares. And Jude says, God says through Jude, beware. You know what we need to do? We need to earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. Don't let it stand. We're going to have to stop for tonight. There's a lot more we'll get into. We'll finish this verse next week, and then we'll go on for there. Brother Cliff, you'll bring those prayer requests. One of the top things, we put it in the, uh, the prayer bulletin there. Pray for the wild game dinner, as we even heard praises of folks coming, uh, unsaved and so forth. I uh, encourage you to pray for that. Pray for the Carters as they're traveling back home to Japan. Pray for safety there. Just pray for our missionaries across the board, too. So many are facing so many different things uh, there. So pray for that. Um, anybody else have a prayer request? All right, thank you, Brother Cliff. Pray for the Petersons in Uganda. They're still wrestling with the visas, and it sounds like they're going to be forced to leave, but I think there are letters in there. I think we put it in there tonight, and so um, I've read so many, I forget which ones are in there for tonight. Uh, so, uh, but uh, I think that's in there, explains their situation. Pray for them, too, the Petersons in Uganda. M- much prayer need across. I'd continue to pray for the Tongs in Myanmar. That, place, that thing is just blowing up in different ways and so forth. So I encourage you to do pray for that. Let me mention these, and then we'll get to prayer here. I ask you to pray for Angie Looney. She has the, her shoulder surgery on Monday. So pray for that to go well for Miss Angie Looney, for her surgery on her shoulder coming up on Monday. She's a little concerned about that, and so just pray for her. And the Lord would work in that. Ask you to pray for uh, Leroy Meyer. This is Brother John's brother. We've had him on the prayer list before. Prayed for him. Pray for him. He's having a stent put in on a Monday. So pray for that. A stent being put in for Leroy Meyer and Brother John's brother having a stent put in on Monday. Ask you to pray for uh, brother, uh, brother Drake, Mrs. Drake's uh, grandson, Dominic, and uh, they'll be meeting with the public school. And just pray for that meeting to go well, and uh, they need to work some things out, and uh, so Dominic can attend school and things like that. That meeting's coming up March 18th. So pray for that meeting with the Drakes and their grandson and the public school. The things would work out with that meeting. The Lord would just help them, give them wisdom, and then pave the way for him to get back in school. And the Lord would just take care of that. So pray for Dominic and the Drakes as they deal with that. Ask you to pray for Mary Rouse's niece, Jennifer Anger. Jennifer Anger. She needs a kidney transplant, and right 
right now. She's having some health issues. So just pray for a recovery from that and certainly pray for the kidney to be found. The Lord would just work that out. So pray for Jennifer Anger and uh, the niece of Mary Rouse and uh, needs a kidney transplant. Uh, she's having some other health issues. Pray for that. And obviously that transplant to go well and things there. So that's all I have. Um, have we cut the live streaming yet? Let's do that, okay? We'll say goodbye to those live streaming folks. I just want to say one thing. And uh, so we'll say goodbye to them. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Let me just say one. It's not a big deal. Don't worry. There's not. 